On this episode, we talk about investing with leverage, the first ever Bitcoin ETF, and is investing easy? Welcome to episode number seven of Think at Heart. All right. Okay, nailed it. Number seven. It's a good number. Number seven. Lucky number seven. It's a good number. Oh, feels like we're getting going on these things. Yeah, I think so. You know, getting some good feedback. The, the, yeah. the viewership and the listenership is growing. Yeah, absolutely. We had lots of interest on that DRSV, TFSAs, crypto one. Lots yeah. of interest in that. Yeah. Well, people love to be interested about the, all the boring stuff. <laughs> before before we go i think we uh the last couple of times i think we fought, forgot to mention disclaimer i don't know that uh i'm gonna got it have it word for word but uh before we get into this especially after watching the um the uh, gentleman on reddit uh speak to the house committee in the u.s today um you know, very important for everyone to recognize that any information we provide today is for information purposes only. If you have any questions, contact your financial advisor. We're just providing information and how we see it. Okay. Again, uh, super boring. That's a, a <laughs> also boring part. All right. And uh, we are the advisors, by the way. So they yes. should contact if they us, ask yes. us directly and uh, we can answer all the questions. Okay. Uh, contact information down below in the description. Okay, uh, let's get started. We got a lot to talk about. Um, let's start off with talking about some things in the news that we're really excited about. Okay. Uh, the first ever Bitcoin ETF. Why don't you give us the rundown on that? Yeah, well, listen, it's uh, super exciting that Canada gets to be the first country, the first index in the world that launches an ETF. So uh, an ETF, for people that don't know what this is, it's an exchange-traded fund. So it's something that you can buy in the TSX. And so up until now, there's been uh, closed-end funds that you can buy. So there's been a few, 3IQ, uh, and, uh, CI, uh, they've, and Sprott, they've all launched closed-end funds. And so the, there's a couple of things, an ETF and a closed-end fund, there are, there are a couple of different vehicles. A closed-end fund is something that's, uh, that, that's like a mutual fund that trades on the market. Oftentimes, you can, there's a difference between what it's trading in at the market and what it's worth. So sometimes there's a spread between what it's worth and what it's trading at. Where an ETF, the ETF has the responsibility to keep the price kind of tagged to how it's trading in the market right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Purpose Investments, they're the ones that run, won the race. They launched it today. Um, $200 million in assets went into that today. Uh, it's uh, a big number, uh, especially for Canada. So um, that uh, that's a big deal. Hmm. Yeah. So how do people get into that if they want in on it? Yeah, so you can buy it uh, through any account, basically, you have. 
TFSA investment account. If you have an account with your advisor, obviously they can go and buy it now. Um, if you have an account with a discount, like an interactive broker or something like that, you can go in and buy it. I mean, you can spend a dollar, two dollars, depending on how much money you have invested in interactive brokers. As an example, you could go in and buy it there, but you can buy it in your TFSA and your investment account and your RSP. I mean, it's eligible to be invested in any uh, any type of account in Canada. Right. Well, and, and for the world for that matter. Right. So yeah. up until now, it's really been, I mean, the main way people buy crypto was through kind of those independent crypto exchanges. Is exchange yep. right the word for that? Yeah. Right? Like a Coinbase yep. or uh, in Canada here, it's CoinSquare is the big one. Yep. Um, you know, what's the difference between buying it like that and, and buying now the ETF? Yeah, so everyone's going to look at it a little bit differently, but uh, the, some of the purists would like the Coinbase or the CoinSquare from the perspective that you retain ownership of that, you own that, you can take delivery of it technically. Um, so there's some like fighting the system independent, decentralized. Mm -hmm. You know, the downside of that is the huge spread, right? So if you're going to go in and buy and sell Bitcoin on those exchanges, you're going to pay a pretty big spread between what you see on your CNBC or whatever you're watching to, to track your Bitcoin cost um, and what they actually let you sell it for. So they're going to take a big percentage. I mean, it used to be huge. It's narrowed, um, but it's still a multiple percent to, to buy and sell on that exchange versus buying the ETF. You know, you're going to pay well, tip, technically, you're supposed to pay what the net asset value is worth. So whatever purpose is buying the Bitcoin for, you're going to pay, you know, uh, 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 essentially what the, the bid price is for it or the midpoint. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you're going to be able to buy and sell it for a dollar or for free if you're in the U.S. I mean, a lot of the U.S. brokerage firms allow you to trade for free now. So you'd be able to technically be able to buy and sell it for free. Yeah, I think that maybe the upside, like you mentioned, for you know keeping it with the the, the crypto exchanges, are like mm -hmm. you, said, you can take delivery of it, right? Yep. But yep. You can actually physically get and hold it in your in your digital wallet if you want to. I mean, yeah. I don't do that. that that's where I own, I own crypto. I don't mind saying that here, because mm -hmm. that that was the only ever way to buy it, right? Yep. Up until now, so. Um, uh, but yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, it, at this point, it seems like every piece of news for Bitcoin is positive, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's still like the, the people that are going, that are coming out saying, you know, oh, this, you know, there's a lot of risk here and whatnot, but it's just more and more people like BlackRock uh, this week said that, came out and said they dabble in it, which tells me they're all in on it, right? <laughs> that they've started to dabble in it is what they've said, yeah. right? And yeah. a company like that that keeps, that keeps everything close to their chest, the fact that they dabble in it just tells me that they're all in on it, right? And, yeah. I, and I see that with cautious excitement from a standpoint of, you know, start, you, things like this are usually too good to be true, usually are, right? Yeah. The, and there's, the, there's always a beginning and an end into whether it be any investment or business like we talked about in the last podcast. Yeah. Right. There's always a cycle of things. There's going to go out. There's going to be a correction. Right. Of course. Yeah. But it just, it just seems like, you know, they're talking, it's going to go to a million dollars a coin in the next mm. decade. Or, yeah. Or if that, if that's the case, I mean, there's going to be a lot of happy people that are getting in now. Right. 
Yeah. So look, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, because I've gone through a lot of uh, bubbles and lots of different things that I've seen happen, you know, this one is interesting for sure. But, you know, when Amazon was trading at a couple of dollars after they got the crap beat out of them in the, in the nineties, you know, nobody said that they thought Amazon was going to trade, be the first trillion dollar market cap company and trade at the levels like it is, you know, it was a long, slow road to get there and so does can bitcoin get to a million dollars a coin it certainly can mm-hmm. um but I don't, it's definitely not a straight line no yeah and yeah. so it's a high beta high risk asset um yeah. and uh you know there's there's no part of me that thinks it's a currency like uh you know or an alternative to gold i mean gold's a high risk high beta asset too <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so um i think it has uh, definitely has still a potential ahead but you know the, the my like this this kind of um everybody think it's going to go up scares that it scares the crap out of me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, you know better than anybody. I started out. I mean, I owned it for three years, and then yeah. just basically forgot about it for two years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then it started to started on headed up a rope, pretty much. Right, and got my attention. But now, to be honest, it seems like we talk about it every week because, yeah. and we keep saying we're not going to talk about it anymore. But we, you can't yeah. not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like you know, Ralph Powell is saying that it's probably the investment of a generation uh would you agree with that well yeah i look uh there's still a lot of unknowns but i've never seen anything like this yeah yeah in my career yeah Yeah. and uh you know the only i think other comparison is probably gold um and you know that probably sounds a bit ridiculous right now to compare it to that but you know in the 70s the only way you could buy gold too is from a gold dealer or or something like that you had to buy physical coins um there wasn't a way to trade it or transact it the institutions didn't own it because there wasn't a way to do that till the first gold etf came out and then what you had is you had a massive squeeze as all the institutions said they wanted to have an allocation to gold in their portfolios. And uh, you had, I mean, a blow off top in gold. And then you had decades of, uh, of nothing with it. So we could have a similar type of action with it. You know, obviously this one has a technology tilts to it, which makes it a bit different. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's quite similarities to the, kind of the structure of it. Yeah. I mean, guys like that say, I mean, Raul, who's a macro guy, mm-hmm. yeah. that's, you know, he, he said a similar thing. He's like, well, I'm kind of getting sick of talking about it, but, and it's, he said, I, I can't even look at anything else because the, because the investment is just too good. Like mm-hmm. I can't convince myself to invest in something, take my money out of Bitcoin because I think yeah. I'm going to get a better return on something else Yeah, right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so look, I mean, all like, I mean, we've talked a little bit about Raul, like he's a long-term macro trader and like macro investors take a long duration view. And when you've listened to him too, he said, you know, the one advantage that I have Raul has as an investor is he's got time. 
he's got that time value to be, to stay with a position. You know, he's not managing money. He's not got his feet to the fire, like a hedge fund or like an, a manager like me, where we got to, uh, we got to deliver now. So I can't say to a client, yeah, well, Bitcoin's going to a million. Yeah, it might drop 50, 60%. Don't worry about that. We're yeah. still going to a million. You know, people are going to say you're out of your mind. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Which actually brings up a good, uh, it's a good transition to our next topic. Like yeah. when you see, you know, when we're at a time like we are right now, where there's a lot of volatility, uh, you know, it almost seems like it's easy to make money. There's all these great investments that people, you know, when you, you, you hear people say, oh, it's an investment in generation. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of opportunity out there to invest with leverage now, right? Yeah. yeah. To, to, to lever up, you know, put all your money, interest rates are low. So you're, you're, you're bound to, to outpace those. Yeah. Right. If, yeah. if it goes the right way for you. Yep. So in what situation do you think leverage, you should use leverage to, to make investments? Yeah, leverage is, uh, leverage is a tricky one for sure. I think that uh, there's multiple ways to, to leverage. And so, you know, I think about leverage from the perspective is I often get that question about, well, uh, investing in real estate versus investing in the market. And so, you know, I, I so I'd kind of start with that as kind of the backdrop, right? Because a lot of people in, in, in real estate want to talk about the fact that, you know, housing prices have only gone up, right? Because they scale it back and they look over 25, 30 years. They never look at like a minute time frame. But the one thing that never goes into that calculation when you're investing in real estate is you get massive leverage. Right. Most people now they're, you know, we're talking about what's happened to the real estate market in, in Ottawa. So, okay. You know, you bought a house last year and it's up a hundred thousand. Okay. So, you know, maybe you invested 500, or you, you bought a house for 500,000. Now it's worth 600,000. And so but the thing that people look at is they go, well, you know what I put down, you know, 5% on that house. And so now my 5% is actually worth this. You know, the, the factor you didn't get is you got 95% leverage on this thing. That's why it went up. That's why you made a hundred grand. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like if you invested half a million dollars in the market and you had 95% leverage, the market would have kicked its butt. Right? Yeah. You'd have, you'd have a lot more money. Yeah, yeah. So investing for leverage is, is a tricky one. Um, and the difference with real estate versus the stock market is, uh, you know, you can do it in a couple of ways. You could do a secured line of credit, for example, where you get a fixed dollar amount and then you put it into the markets. Mm -hmm. um, or you could do what's called a margin account. And so what a margin account is, is you have a certain amount of money invested. We'll say you have a million dollars invested in your portfolio and you decide you want to have it invested in a margin account. So what you own within that million dollar portfolio, say you own a bunch of different stocks in there and let's just say they're all high quality stocks. Um, those high quality stocks will give you 70% loan value. So you'd actually be able to invest 1.7 million um, in, in uh, a stock portfolio. And so you'd be taking leverage there. The challenge with that one yeah. is that uh, the market is live, it's daily. So, you know, if the prices come down, you have to put more capital into that portfolio to continue to, uh, to allow it to grow. 
Well, that's right. And it's not like, oh, you have time to, to do that. You need to do it by the end of that day. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you know, all, otherwise they can sell you out of your position, right? That's right. Not, yeah. only, not only they can sell you out of your position, they will, they have to, by law, sell you out of your position. Right? That's right. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, to, to me, it's a lot, you know, it would seem a lot riskier. I mean, but like anything, it's, you know, risk and reward there, I guess, right? It is riskier. I mean, there's other ways you can do leverage too, right? So there's, you could trade options mm -hmm. and that's my, that's leverage, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So you could say, you know, I like uh, Visa, for example, mm -hmm. um, and I'm willing to allocate $10,000 of my capital to Visa, mm -hmm. um, but I want to do it in a leverage format. Mm -hmm. So you got a couple of choices. You can say, I'll put $10,000 in call options. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to get maximum leverage there um, because you're buying, you know, uh, you're buying um, options, which have a set expiry date, but you're getting leverage, right. like crazy max leverage. Right. Yeah. And so then if you want to go on top of that too, there's, you know, you can buy, there's triple ETFs that give you triple exposure to a certain asset class. Mm. Yeah. And then you can buy options on that too. So you could get like 50 times leverage on something like that. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah. Uh, those are all definitely things that I don't recommend, well, but there's way to, to, there's ways to lever up a portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what that's, I mean, options is, it was like a perfect example of that is, is the whole GameStop, GameStop thing, right? Yeah. That's exactly like shorting, shorting and whatnot is yeah. Uh, yeah. an example of that. But, and that's the thing, right? Like people lever up to kind of swing for the fence and hit that home run Yeah. when it doesn't happen, right? Yeah. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is it does happen, right? Yeah. Like what what's your saying what's your saying about your first time investor like the worst thing that can happen is you, make is you can trade. you can make money on your first trade and make lots of money on your first trade <laughs> yeah exactly. it's the worst thing <laughs> exactly because then you just think oh stocks are always going to go up right that's right yeah right. and it's worse if you do it on options right because you know if you hit a big a big big pass on an option you're like that that was easy and you could obviously evaporate your whole amount of capital with options because there's a time value so you know if you put money into an option contract it expires out of the money you get zero yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i mean like even when you talk about margin i mean my my concern with that is that like you need that same amount of liquidity on the other side because again if something goes wrong you need to be able to meet that margin call right mm -hmm. so you need to be you need to have that money readily available i i guess because it's due on the same day yeah wrong about that well look uh you know there is a requirement by the firms to uh request additional capital and uh, depending on the the net worth and the the client and their ability to meet previous margin calls they may give them a bit of time mm -hmm. uh, but there is a requirement that the firms um uh make good on those margin calls and you know the uh, i've 
seen things certainly in my career where they've uh, forced and we've had to take uh, action for people that are in margin calls and obviously it doesn't happen in the good times it's always in the bad times um so yeah you get you mean you got two choices and uh put more capital in or we sell your stuff so you've seen that in your in your history before where you've had to sell people out of their position you've had yeah. that yeah do you have any good stories about that you know, I mean, you can tell, you tell a story. You don't have to. Yeah, in. yeah. Look, I've had a couple in in 2008, and then actually last year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the one last year was was uh, the most difficult because the portfolio had gone from uh, somewhere in the mid one and a half million down to uh, basically 150,000, um, and. Um, I had to talk to say to the client, listen, this is it. We have another couple of days like this and uh, your portfolio is zero. You're going to owe the firm money. Mm-hmm. So if you don't take action now, um, the firm's going to liquidate your portfolio and you're going to have nothing. So you need to sell something now or you will effectively have run out of money. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That must be a tough conversation now. Yep. <laughs> but that's yeah, it was a, that's a, no look it's a it's a tough conversation to have but you know it was the right decision because uh he agreed to it uh we did it um the portfolio has recovered significantly um not back to where it was but uh had he not done it we, he would have uh he would have had nothing and yeah. so, you know, it's, uh, if you're will, if you're, if you want to take leverage, you got to be willing to, to take the pill and, and make tough decisions at the right time. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not a fun one. Yeah. So speaking of that, I mean, speaking about the ups and the downs, obviously there's a ton of volatility in the market right now. Right. And yeah. uh, as we talked about before, you know, volatility used to be the indicator of fear. Well, you don't think that's the case anymore. Right? I don't. Yeah. But what, what, I mean, there's so much volatility in the market, right. And it seems like every day that there's something different. So why yeah. do you think that is? You know, we had, uh, I've had a number of conversations. Clients have asked me about volatility and it stayed elevated. And so I think it's been, you know, as I've watched it and as, as I've thought about what it means, you know, I think it's become the inverse, right? You get uh, as as the markets are going up and volatility is going down, you know, that, that tends to, to mean that there's something kind of lurking below the surface. And we've had many days here in the last couple of weeks where we've had volatility up, we've had the markets up, we've had bonds up. And so the, those things don't don't relate anymore. And so, yeah, I think as you look at kind of the construct of volatility is you've had a lot of institutional managers building portfolios with volatility as the single guiding factor and how they make decisions, whether they lever up the portfolio or lever down it. And so they end up trading volatility to try to manage the risk within that portfolio. And so it's completely skewed out that kind of fear gauge. And uh, I was listening to somebody on, on Real Vision saying, you know, they're view is it's kind of the greed gauge now right so it's not uh, it's not the same indicator that it was at one point and you get huge amount of 
of flow towards kind of trading volatility. And so it's kind of skewed out that, uh, that volatility complex. And it doesn't mean as much as it did anymore. And I think it's more important to, I guess, follow the rate of change of volatility as opposed to that static number. You know, I used to be conscious if volatility is trading in the mid twenties, the market must be fragile. Well, I don't really think that applies anymore. I think you get much more trading around uh, these institutional managers trading around VAR, which is uh, a value at risk. So they're trading with this kind of risk uh, mandate, which um, you know doesn't really relate to risk anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is volatility? I mean, volatility is good for trading, right? Like it's not the best for long-term investing, but it's great for trading, right? Yeah. That's what traders want to see is kind of that because the volatility is really opportunity, right? Yeah. To make money up, going up or down. Right? Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. And I guess, you know, as I think about, I mean, as I think about hedging, right? And that's because as I do, and that's what something that I think about, like last year, as we got into well, February, basically a year ago, you know, we hit uh, uh, February 23rd, I think was the day the market started to blow off. But when I bought, I bought put options on February 14th last year, volatility was like eight historic lows. I mean, if you're hedging, that's fantastic. Market's at an all-time high. Volatility is at an all-time low. Options are super cheap. Um, so, um, so I guess when you're, when you're thinking about what it is that, that you want within a portfolio, but you know, volatility is not a bad thing it, it, to your point, you know, it's oftentimes looked as a bad word. It's yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. 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 I think people are learning how to manage it, right? Like, uh, yeah. looking for the opportunity in, in those types of things. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think it goes back to, I think people are just. You know, even with everything that's gone on over the years, I think people are less afraid in general, right? People are more yeah. afraid in the world of where it's going, but I think people are less afraid to take risk is probably the is is probably the word that I'm looking for, right? People yeah. take lever up, take more and more and more debt, right? Yeah. yeah. Because they don't have that same fear factor, right? Yeah. Same thing with same thing with uh, um lost it uh sorry <laughs> yeah 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 no for sure i mean I think yeah. it's a it's a it's a fair point that i think people's views have changed and that's i guess this this trending market will do to you is that you think you can uh you think you know something more than the market but uh so you can you can take more risk you can lever up the portfolio um and and you'll be you'll be fine someone someone will bail you out yeah <laughs> if you're wrong yeah and i just think it's a that's that's the, the sentiment of generation, right? Yeah. I think, I think people are just less afraid now. Um, okay. So that brings us to the next point, which is times like this makes investing look easy. Doesn't it? Okay. Like David A. Trader got in yeah. like a year ago or whenever he started investing and he's like, yeah. stocks only go up. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. it just seems like whatever you put money to, into it's yeah. just going to go up. Yeah. And I think too, like with a bit of a, a crash last March when, when yeah. COVID was first hit. So yeah. if you started to invest at that time, then yeah, I mean, you've made out wonderfully, right? Like everything yeah. has kind of gone up from that point, right? That's yeah. the yeah. opportunity that people uh, yeah. recognize, right? So yeah. yeah. So what do you say to people when they think, oh, 
I've been investing for last year. It's just super easy. Everything and it goes up. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, everyone has the value of hindsight with a lot of conversations around that. We wouldn't, we knew this was going to happen. That's, that's a lot of the conversation, but you know, investing is hard, just like everything you want to, you want to be successful at whatever you do in your life. You have to work at it. You know, often we have these conversations with my kids all the time, as I'm sure you do too. They're like, or they see somebody on TV and they're like, wow, they're so good. How'd they get at it? They work their butt off. They work at it. (laughs) Right. It's not easy, but there's this kind of overtone that that's in, I guess, the media and press and a lot of these, uh, you know, these uh, these passive, we'll call it ETF strategies or like the DFAs of the world. They're looking to make things easy. They want everything to be easier, but uh, investing isn't easy. Yeah. 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 You got to, you got to get up every day. You got to look at what's happening in the world and the markets. You got to take a look at what's happening in the economy and politics. And then you have to take a decide on what you're going to do that day, you know, and uh, yeah, it takes time to, to learn that you got to put in the reps. You know, I think that if you want to be average, and you want to be an average investor, then you can buy an ETF model, you can buy a mutual fund, and it'll be average, and you can you can choose that path. But if you want to be good at something, it takes a lot of work. Yeah, for sure. But let's, I mean, let's be honest, the average person who has a job, you know, not in the financial sector, yeah. right? And that, you know, they want to make a lot of money, yeah. but... Um, you know, all they're doing is reading the headlines and they're not really digging into it, right? You know, I guess their option is to find an advisor to, hmm. to do that, right? Is that is that what it is or? Yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to do, if you're going to find an advisor, like if you want somebody that does something different, yeah. then they're going to look for somebody like us, like right. somebody that does does and makes decisions differently than the average person. Right. So, I mean, if you're comparing some, but you're comparing like, a, you know, a portfolio manager that tracks the models that the firm builds for them, you know, you're, you could do that or you can buy an ETF. They're basically going to be the same things. Yeah. So if you want somebody to do something different, then you have to find an advisor that does something different and find out what value that they add to the portfolios. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people get into investing right now too, and it's not—I don't want to say it's not that hard because there's there's still a lot to consider, a lot of information to consume on a daily basis. But yeah, but it's not—you know—it's not that hard. You can put money in, and you know, it'll grow for the most part, right? If you mm-hmm. if you invest smartly, but you know, it it will come a time when it's not like that anymore. Right? Well, yeah, it's not. I mean, look, the uh, obviously last year when we had that big sell-off in the markets, um, you'll you'll you know you get what happens at that time is people they people people sell, they panic and they sell. They don't they don't make the right decisions in in, in the irrational time. And so right now again we've reached that other end where things are starting to get a little bit irrational again. And so they make people are making those decisions where we can we can uh, continue to stretch a bit, and we can continue to push a bit because we're, we're reaching that other end of irrationality. And so you know, I, uh, when you look at the historical data, you you look at 
mutual fund performance because everyone hates mutual funds, right? So you look at that and you look at mutual fund performance in aggregate and their performance has been pretty good. But then you look at the people invested within those funds, their performance is quite a bit worse is because people buy at the top and they sell at the bottom. And so, you know, if you had held a, okay, a simple mutual fund and you held it for 25 years, you probably would have done okay. But inevitably what happens, whether it's the, the advisor or the client is the market runs up you probably buy somewhere around these levels because you want to buy last year's five-star fund. Um, you know, obviously that's pe what people sell. This is the greatest fund. So you, you buy the five-star fund that ends in, turns out to be a two-star fund by the end of that next year, you sell it and you buy the next five-star fund. And yeah. so what ends up happening is you cycle yourself out of constantly out of uh, the losers and you have uh, your, your performance tends to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, why do, why do you think people do that? Why do you think, I mean, the psychology is so many people buy at the top and sell at the bottom, which is the exact opposite of the way it should be. And everybody knows, right. Every us included, we know, you don't, you know, you, if you're, if it's going down, you don't want to really sell it at that time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's obviously situations where you sure. Do, yep. But yeah. You just know, like you would just want to press that eject button so bad. Like, right? yeah. <laughs> like, no, ship's going down. Get out of it. When if you just held it for another, you know, few yeah. days, you just yeah. you'd be back on it. Right. I dropped you. Can you hear me? I lost you. Are you back, back with me? Sorry, I lost you there for a few minutes. We do it because it's just human nature. And so what happens is what, uh, what, you know, it, what the market should do is they should just mark prices once a month. You mark prices once a month. You know, if I came to you, Scott, in the middle of uh, February last year and said your stock's down 50%, you'd be like, ah, crap. But then the middle of March, um, say your, your stock's back to, to where you bought it. You would have been like, okay, that's good. Yeah. But if you, but what you're going to do is you're going to say, ah, I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. Yeah. I just can't take it anymore. Like yeah. that, the amount of conversations you have is that's what people say. Yeah, and so yeah. it's so hard. And I think that it really is this FOMO. It's this fear of missing out. So on the other side, you know, the, the thing that I've done most in my career is I've sold a little bit too soon. Yeah. And uh, that's as hard to watch, you know, yeah. I exit a position that's up a hundred percent. It goes up another hundred percent. Oh, and then it drops below, but that oh. next move yeah. is the psychological killer. That would kill me. <laughs> you miss that other, you miss that other hundred. Yeah. But the thing, you know, it's true, but the thing that I've learned and the, that you have to uh, know that there's thousands of tens of thousands of stocks you can buy out there. Yeah. So, you know, you go into a position, you buy something that, uh, uh, you know, that's gone up a hundred percent. You switch it into something else that you think has a similar risk reward. So, you know, if, uh, 
if you're right on that, obviously it works out. If you're wrong and the other thing runs and that just stays flat, um, that, that's fine too. But it's the fear of missing out. And that's a train, like it's, it's the reps, right? It's the training. You know, you have to look at it. You have to say, I'm fine. When I bought this stock, I thought it could go to here. It's here now. Has the world fundamentally changed? Probably not. <laughs> um, so I'll take my profits, go home and move into something else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You know what I've realized since I've been in this game is that people want the upside, but they don't want the risk of the downside. Yeah. So the opportunity, the opportunity to make more money does not trump their fear of losing their money, mm -hmm. right? We see it often with a lot of our clients that, that just want the regular risk profile. You, yeah. you know what I mean? The conservative risk profile, Yeah. right? And understandably, depending on where they're at in your life stage, right? Yeah. Right, because you can't afford to take that risk because they gotta live on money the rest of their, the rest of their career, right? Yeah. But they love the upside, don't they? Okay? Yeah, everyone wants max upside, min downside. Yeah, yeah. So, so why wouldn't? So, why do so many people just go into mutual funds and like there's such a there's such a small return on those, mm. right? Like the one to four percent mm. when the opportunity is out there to deal with advisors like us that trade on a regular basis that can have much bigger returns than that. Yeah. It's uh, easy for mm -hmm. them. Um, and it is, it's been decades of like selling, <laughs> you know, of, uh, of the firms selling that you should own mutual funds. You should own diversified mutual fund portfolios because you're a small investor. And that's the, the only thing that you should do or can do. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a lot of it is that kind of psychological selling. And I'll, there's a lot of thinking around diversification. And so I think diversification is still important, but you need to know what you're diversified in. And most funds are built on 1975 diversification rules and it's 2021 and uh, diversification rules are a lot different today. Right. 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 So it's just easier for people. They'll go into their bank and the banker will give them their five options. Are you income? Are you conservative? Are you balanced? Are you balanced growth? Are you aggressive? And human nature is, I'm going to pick one of these. Uh, I'm not, I'm not this uh, Nancy at this end and I'm not this aggressive, crazy gambler. So I'm going to pick this one in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely see that a lot. Definitely yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. I feel like this has been a very uh, like serious conversation. <laughs> eh? Like we've kind of got right into the weeds today. We did. I know we don't normally go right there. No. Last week we had a lawyer on. Today That's we're true. getting all serious. <laughs> hey, what's yeah. the podcast coming to? I know, I know. Well, we got to keep it light if we want people to watch it. But we also have to realize that uh, we're not super light all the time. Not all the time. No. <laughs> we're light when we want to be. That's it. We have to be. Yes. All right. How do we want to close this up? Well, have we, uh, I don't think we've gone into the discussion really around uh, on, uh, you know, wh where the market's going, where the world's going. Better do that then. 
Yeah, I think oh, look so. Look at me. I'm just trying to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can we can we can wrap it. It's been uh, you know, no. it's been yeah, yeah. So I'd say the the last thing which we talk about just uh, well continue to hammer on the kind of the markets and what they do. You know, I look at a day like today where the markets were down kind of across the board. I see red uh, across every major indice in the world. But then I look at some individual stocks and you look at certain things, you look at like a container store up, uh, it was up 15, uh, sorry, finished the day up 12%. You got uh, Twitter up a percent, you got uh, Ethereum was up, you got some of the, those consumer discretionary names that I mentioned, Porsche was up. And so, you know, I think it really makes a difference what you own at different times of, uh, of the markets. And so, you know, we, when you get a down day, you have to look at it and say, what's the, what's the market telling you and what do you do uh, to make sure you're taking advantage of these, these kinds of activities. And that's where you have to keep working at it if you want to be uh, con consistent. And so, you know, the market's open you know, so many trading days each year. And so when you get these kind of down days, you have to be able to be prepared for, uh, for buying, buying good things and putting the portfolios in good shape. Yeah. I mean, it seems like when we have one of these down days, it just, like, it seems like it's a, the next day it rebounds, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're, we're not getting sustained amounts of downward pressure, right? Like, yeah. So that all goes into, you know, Keith's uh, quad two, right? Version where we're getting growth plus inflation. You're looking at the other fundamental indicators. And I mean, his structure has been built off of, uh, of uh, uh, volatility, volume um, and inflation. So, you know, volatility's down today, volume's down on a down day. Um, you know, both of those are signals to buy the dip. <laughs> Right. If you get volatility up, you get volume up. That's a signal to say, hold on. Right. I, I'm, I'm not sure where we are. So right. so when you get volume and volatility working together, you get stocks coming into a range where you want to buy them. Like those are all go signals. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what situation where you see where it's where it's the opposite, where you see more down days than up days? Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you have a sustained period of where the market is going down and yeah. then you get one day where it rebounds. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. another sustained period where it goes down. Like what in what situation do you normally see that? Well, from a macro perspective, you see uh, you see slowing growth and slowing inflation. So you get the quad two, you get slowing growth, slowing inflation. And, uh, you know, that kind of action and that tends uh, to be a period of time where you're in uh, a recession. Mm -hmm. And so that type of action is where you're going to get these kind of, you're going to get those down trending down moves in, in equities. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the inverse of that is trending up move in bonds in US dollar. So, um, so, you know, those two things kind of play off against each other. And so, you know, we've had, I've had lots of conversations too with clients. Some clients have some gold exposure. And so every time I talk to them, it's, you know, my focus is on what's happening in the U S tenure. 
you know, we always come back and they say, well, who cares about the U.S. 10-year? I'm talking about gold. Well, if you if you look at what happens with gold and interest rates, particularly the U.S. 10-year, you know, when the U.S. 10-year hit its low last August, gold was hitting its high. And so since then, you've got to get that those inverse correlations. So, you know, I, you'd be looking at something specifically and say, you know, when that 10-year roll, rolls over and starts to go in the other direction, gold's probably going to start to move up. And so when gold rallies, we'll call it those, those, like your question is when we get a day where gold, like silver got squeezed by Reddit there, you know, it was temporary because yields were still rising. <laughs> you know, if yields were falling, if yields were falling and gold was rising, well, then you'd say maybe we're starting a new trend. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Another heavy answer, Ben. <laughs> like in the weeds technical like three percent just because it is right? just three, because it is three percent of the people listening to this will even understand any of that and i'm not part of that three <laughs> percent <laughs> uh, so i'm targeting my my engineer friends oh man i guess so or my yeah. economist friends or someone that likes to get in the weeds yeah, for sure. Well, we have lots of those types of clients, don't we? Yeah. yeah. So get in there with you and muck it up. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's funny. Yeah. Cool. What else you got? What else is in uh, going on in the world that we're looking at, interested in? Uh, let me see what else I got. You know, I'm, I really am looking for the trend change because it is the thing that you know, because investing is easy right now, as you say, and because many things are going up and because my view is we probably have a, a rough kind of mid patch or the second half of this year. And I think we get into that period of time where uh, we get maybe some recessionary prints in the world. Um, I'm spending so much time trying to see what that signal is. You know, you're holding on right now and we talk about, you know, Bitcoin and we talk about how the positioning on it some point it's going to have to be sold and so and a lot of these things that i'm owning and buying now a lot of these companies that i like and buy i'm gonna have to sell them (laughs) and i hate that because they're working it's doing great but at some point you're gonna have to sell them so i'm spending uh spending time looking for those signals that sounds hard (laughs) hard anyone especially when everything's just going up yeah yeah but that's, uh, yeah, it's the difference. It is the difference maker because when I talk to a lot of people, it's a, I mean, that, that's a historical view that we can just buy and hold and everything's going to be fine. You know, if you bought and hold the TSX last year, people want to talk about this. You know, they'll say, yeah, my portfolio recovered. Okay, yes, you, you made 2% last year. So, you know, you had a million dollars invested, your million dollars goes down to, we'll call it 600,000 at some point in the year, and then it recovers and it uh, goes up to a million 20,000 by the end of the year. So yeah, buy and hold is okay, Um, but you have a a hell of a ride. And, uh, you know, I I think that uh, that's not gonna be the way to to make it happen for for you as you look, look ahead and where the markets are going. And I think you, you have to uh, take a view that you're going to adapt to what the world is doing, what the markets are doing. So I don't, I don't think you can just buy and hold and go to sleep. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Cool. 
so let's talk about uh, what we have coming up with the podcast soon. Okay. What are we looking at doing? I think a couple things is uh, you talk to, you know, we talk so much about crypto and Bitcoin and we keep yeah. saying that we don't want to focus on it too much because we don't want to become that type of channel, right? Like we're not yeah. crypto guys yeah. mean, by any means. There's so yeah. much interest around it. It's hard not to talk about it all the time. So what we want to do is we want to bring an expert in to really kind of look, well, get in the weeds with you as, as, as you like to do <laughs> and kind of break it down for people to explain exactly what crypto is, what the blockchain is, yeah. you know, and what the opportunity is as well. So I think we'll have that as a, as a guest yeah. uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, we've also got um, Jessica has agreed to come on and, and do some more, uh, some more information on the states and just yeah. overall uh, lawyering. I call it. I just made yeah. it a verb. Lawyering. Lauren. Yeah, she said she wanted to give us some uh, some of the worst cases she's seen. Yeah, yeah. should be fun. Exactly. Case studies are always great. And yeah. some I think we should do and uh, more on this is tell stories. Yeah. Right? Tell stories of things that you've seen happen, both good and bad. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know we can't say specifically what happened. Yeah, we, we can. It doesn't even have to be necessarily your experience, yeah. but things that we've uh, heard yeah. or case studies yeah. we've read or something like that. Because I think yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, and people can learn. It's yeah. really easier for people to understand concepts through yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, definitely yeah. looking to to bring more more things like that's that. That's a good idea. I mean, I got lots of things that come to mind where I've seen the best and the worst and the decisions. And so, you know, yeah. part of how my my view and my thoughts have formed is is based around uh, that. <laughs> yeah. So so that'd be good. Yeah. 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 So uh, also uh, we're going to have uh, an, uh, an accountant come on and talk about taxes. Um, so that sounds super boring. <laughs> so that's super boring. Um, uh, what else? What else do you want? I had uh, I, uh, I, I've been talking with someone that uh, is an expert in central bank digital currency. Um, so, you know, I think that would be pretty weedy, but uh, could be super interesting to to bring that kind of view. They've worked with uh, Bank of Canada before as well. So it could be interesting, see if we get them on, see if we could uh, convince them too, because I think that'd be a pretty unique perspective. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting. Probably again, like you said, probably over most people's heads, including mine, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that could be interesting. Not boring, no. not boring. Right. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so anyway. lots of lots of things we're working on. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Episode seven. Thank it heart. Crushing it. Crushing it in the market for the clients. If you want to contact us, uh, contact info down below. Uh, new website coming out soon. Hardinvestmentgroup.ca. Don't go there now because there's nothing there. Uh, but that's coming out in the next couple of weeks and our, uh, we're just crushing it for the clients. Thanks to Mr. Ben. Okay. That's it. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks. Turn off the recording.